you got a Bible this morning, I'd have you turn to Romans chapter 15. We're going to get right to it. We have a lot to do today. Romans chapter 15. If you didn't bring a Bible, uh, man, there may be one on your phone. You can also look on the, on the screen. We're going to have most of the verses on the, on the screen for you this morning. We're getting into a new section of Romans. Uh, really, Romans chapter 15 through the end of the book uh, deals with the ministry. And so if, if those of you that have been with us the last few weeks uh, in, our, in our Roman series, remember we, we, we've taken a, about a year and a half, maybe a little over a year, uh, to go through the book of Romans. Uh, what we learned is that the first eight chapters of the book of Romans deal with the doctrine of salvation. Uh, Paul lays out a very legal case and legal argument uh, for our need for salvation, for our sin, and for the redemption that's available in Jesus Christ. We saw that in chapters 1 through 8. Chapters 9 through 11 deal with the nation of Israel. Israel's past, Romans chapter 9. Israel's present, Romans chapter 10. Israel's future, Romans chapter 11. And then from chapters 12 to 16, God takes all of that doctrine and says, here's how you apply that to your life. Because doctrine without application is pointless for us. We have to understand the proper application of the scriptures in our life. And so uh, last couple of weeks, we've been in Romans 14. We've been learning about our liberty in Christ and, and how to exercise our liberty and also how to, to lay our liberty down so that we can minister to our brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and, and so this morning, we're going to pick up another topic of application. And really, the topic that Paul is going to deal with, the Scripture is going to deal with, is the, is the issue of ministry. And so this morning, the message is entitled, Ministry Requires a Minister. And we're going to look at verses 8 to 16, Romans chapter 15, verses 8 to 16, and we're going to, we're going to see two examples from this passage. We're going to see the example of Jesus Christ, and we're going to see the example of Paul the Apostle. And from those two examples, we're going to learn that we are also called to be a minister. And we're going to take the principles that we see in Christ's life and in Paul's life and properly apply them to our own life so that we can be effective ministers. And so if you'll look at Romans 15, verses 8 through 16 will be on the screen. Probably test your eyesight. Can you read that? <laughs> probably not. Uh, I, when I put that on the screen, I thought, you know what, that's probably too small of a font for the people in the back row. I apologize for that. We'll fix that next week. Look at verse 8. That's a good reason to bring your Bible to church. Amen. All right, look at verse 8. Uh, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written. For this cause I will confess uh, to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And he again he saith, Rejoice ye Gentiles with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, as Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise up uh, shall reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now, the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written unto you more boldly, uh, in some sort, as putting you in mind, because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, 
that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And and so this morning, we're going to talk about the ministry, and we're going to talk about the need for ministers in the ministry. And God's going to teach us a great truth from Paul and from the the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's pray and ask God to to bless us as we learn this morning. Father, uh, we thank you for your your goodness, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for your love for us. We, we thank you that we have victory in you. And uh, we are so thankful for the shed blood of Christ that, that cleanses us from our sin. We thank you for the, the, the new life and the new purpose that you give us uh, to please you in this life. And uh, Lord, thank you for the ministry that you've allowed us to be a part of, God. We're not worthy, uh, Lord, to even, to even serve you in such a capacity. But God, it's your plan, it's your will that we be a partaker of this ministry of reconciliation. And so, Lord, help us today, God, uh, to understand that calling and to see what's required to please you with our life. God, we love you. We pray you bless the time, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's get right to it. Number one in your notes, Jesus Christ was a minister. Jesus Christ was a minister. Paul says in verse 8, now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. And, and so, when, when you see that phrase in verse 8, now I say, Paul is connecting us back to what we previously, previously learned in chapter 14 and chapter 15 through verse 7. Remember, the context of that was all about liberty, our liberty in Christ. And, 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 and God's Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul is coming off of that and now saying that Jesus Christ was a minister. In other words, we need to remember the context that liberty many times it's going to need to be laid down so that you can do ministry. We talked about that the last couple of weeks, and I just I know that's not a blank on your notes, but I want you to be re- reminded of the context that our liberty in Christ many times, if we're not careful, will get in the way of us doing ministry. It, it will become a stumbling block to ministry, and, and God is going to use the example of Jesus Christ himself becoming a servant, becoming a minister to the Jew, to the nation of Israel. And so now that we understand we have liberty in Christ, we get to lay that liberty down to serve other people. And God uses that word minister in verse 8, that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision. When you study that word minister in the Bible, you find that that word literally means a servant or one who executes the commands of another. So Christ was a minister. That same word is also translated in your New Testament as deacon, which is very interesting. The Greek word is diakonos, if that matters to you. shouldn't matter to you. We can read English. But, but the point is, it's a servant. It's one who executes the commands of one another. And so Christ is a minister. In other words, that means that, means that he was sent by someone else. He was sent by the Father. And so here's a key ministry principle that we need to learn from Christ himself. Number one, a good minister serves his sender faithfully. A good minister is going to serve his sender faithfully. Who is it that sent Jesus Christ to minister? Well, it was his heavenly father. John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus said unto them, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. And I want you to understand that Christ operated under his Father's will, and His Father's purposes for His life. He ministered on behalf of God the Father. John chapter 5 and verse 30, Jesus says, I can of my own self do nothing, 
As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father, listen, which hath sent me. So what made Jesus a good minister is the same thing that will make you and I a good minister. We need to understand that we need to serve the one who has sent us. When we serve the one who has sent us faithfully, that's what makes us a good minister. Jesus said in Matthew 15 and verse 24, he answered and said, I am not sent unto, uh, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And, and so we'll, we'll get into that in a second. But, but God specifically sent Jesus Christ during his earthly ministry to the nation of Israel. And, and Christ is a good minister. And if we want to learn about ministry, we need to look to Christ because we need to learn to serve the one who sends us faithfully. And we'll get to the, the, the real point in just a second. If you're saved, God has sent you. God has sent you to do the work of the ministry. And, and we would do well to serve our sender faithfully. That's what makes a good minister. You see, the ministry requires a minister. It requires a servant, someone who's willing to carry out the will of the one who sent him. The Bible says in verse 8 that Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God. Now that's very interesting. That, that phrase is very interesting. What is the truth of God? Because that's the thing that Christ ministered to the people that he was ministering to. Well, if we compare scripture with scripture, we understand that God's truth is God's word. John 17 and verse 17 says this, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is, thy word is truth. Paul, in the New Testament context, writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, says, listen, Timothy, if you want to be a good minister, take the words of God and invest it into other people. Okay, so, so Christ served his sender faithfully, and the second ministry principle is this, a good minister communicates the truth of God's word. And I I know this is simple stuff this morning, and most of us probably already have our blanks filled out because we're kind of good at that around here. But I'm telling you, if we just fill in the blank and miss the application, we're going to not be good ministers of Jesus Christ. We need to understand that God the Father has sent us on his behalf, just like he sent Christ, just like he sent Paul. Christ served his sender faithfully, and then Christ communicated the truth of God's word to the intended audience. So in ministry, ministry is all centered around the Word of God. It's centered around the truth of God's Word. Again, if I go back to that principle in 1 Timothy, remember, Paul, Paul's writing to his son in the faith, and he says, listen, if you put the brethren in remembrance of these things, and that these things are the words of God, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. The point is, God has sent us, but God has sent us with a message, and it's his word. And if we want to be good ministers, we have to know the word of God so that we can go teach the word of God to the people that God wants us to reach. Specifically, Jesus is going to the circumcision. We'll talk about that in just a second. Uh, we'll talk about how he was a ministered minister to the, to the Jews because they had certain promises from God's word. But, but before I get there, go back to verse 8. It, it says, he was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made unto 
the fathers. Okay? And so the third ministry principle is a good minister reaches his intended audience. God the Father sent Jesus Christ as a minister with the truth of God's word to an intended audience, the circumcision. And for those of you maybe newer to the scriptures, anytime God uses the word the circumcision, he's talking about the nation of Israel as a whole. He's talking about the Jewish nation, the Jewish religion. So Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. In other words, he had a message to the nation of Israel. He went to minister to a very specific audience, and it was the Jews. And you need to understand from the Bible that Jesus' earthly ministry was primarily to the nation of Israel. It was primarily to the Jew. It doesn't mean that God didn't have a heart for the Gentiles. We'll see that in just a second. But I'm telling you, during his earthly ministry, God's plan was that through the nation of Israel, all the world would hear the message of the gospel, would hear the message of God's word, would come to a right relationship with God through the Jew. That was the Old Testament, and, and in Christ's earthly ministry, that was the message. And even early in the book of Acts, God is dealing with Israel as a nation. And so get this key in your notes. Christ was a minister to the Jews. And listen, those Jews were the recipients of God's promises. God had some very specific promises to the nation of Israel from his word, and when Christ showed up, he reminded them. He took the truth of God's word and said, man, here's what the scripture says about you and the promises. And, and so Christ's earthly ministry was to confirm the promises made to the fathers. Well, who were the fathers? And again, when we study the Bible, the, the answer is very clear. The fathers are Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and so again, Paul is using... Christ's ministry to the nation of Israel to show us how to be an effective minister. Christ ministered to the Jews. He reminded them of the promises. If you doubt that, look at Hebrews 11, verse 17. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac, and he that had received the, the what? The promises offered up his only begotten son. Abraham had received some promises from God. Go back to the Genesis chapter 12, the, 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 the promises, the Abrahamic covenant, uh, all the things that God had promised Abraham, a, a land, he promised him a lineage, uh, he, he promised him a lot of different things. Abraham received those promises. They passed from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to the 12 tribes of Israel. Romans chapter 9, verses 3 to 5, Paul again confirms that. Paul says, I wish that I uh, myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul's a Jew. And Paul understood that there were some promises given to the nation of Israel. Look at verse 4. Who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the what? And the promises. Whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God be blessed forever. Amen. Even in Christ's earthly ministry, we see this play out. In Matthew chapter 10, when Christ began his earthly ministry and when he began to send his disciples out, he sent them to the nation of Israel. 
Matthew chapter 10, verses 5 to 8. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the who? Unto the Gentiles, nor into any city of the who? Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of who? It's very specific. God tells us that his earthly ministry was targeting the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises to the Father. You say, well, man, I'm not a Jew. <laughs> How does that help me? <laughs> well, you're not. We're all Gentiles in the room, I think, this morning. And if you're in Christ, you're not even a Gentile. You're just in, in Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. But I want you to understand that even though Jew, the, the Jews were Christ's primary emphasis of his earthly ministry, Christ also ministered to the Gentiles. And so that's the next blank. Look, you need to understand that there were Gentiles that were the recipients of Christ's earthly ministry. It wasn't his primary emphasis. We know that from Scripture. His primary emphasis was the nation of Israel who rejected him. But we do see that during his earthly ministry, there were some non-Jewish people that received mercy and ministry from Christ. They were never the primary audience of Christ's earthly ministry, but God's grace and mercy is such that even the Gentiles were ministered to. And we don't have time this morning. I know she didn't pack a lunch today, but, but, but there's at least three examples that I could give you. The first one would be the centurion at Capernaum. Matthew chapter 8, there's this man, he's a centurion, uh, he, he is a man of authority, and, and he recognizes that Christ has authority, and, and, and he has a son uh, that, that's ill, and he asks Christ to heal him, and Christ even says, I will come to heal him. And the centurion says, well, I'm not worthy that you should come to my house. But, but that centurion, that Gentile, non-Jewish soldier, understood authority. And he said to Christ, if you'll speak the word, it'll happen. I have enough faith in you and your authority that if your word goes forth, you can just heal my son with your word. You don't have to come to my place. You're not, I'm not worthy. I'm a Gentile. You're a Jew. That's even a, a problem for you to come into my house. And Jesus was willing. And yet this soldier realized, you know what? You have the authority to do that from where you are. And Christ spoke the word and his son was healed. And so there's a Gentile that was recipient of God's mercy. Uh, in Matthew chapter 15, there's this woman of Canaan, and, and she comes out and, and, and she asks for mercy from Christ because she had a daughter that was vexed with a devil. And he answered her not a word. And in Matthew chapter 15, uh, verse 24, you know, his disciples basically told Jesus, hey, just send her away. You know, she's bothering us. Uh, we don't have time for her. And, and, and Jesus himself said to his disciples, he answered and said, I'm not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Here's a Gentile woman whose daughter is possessed with the devil, wanting Jesus to heal her. And Jesus even says, well, my primary ministry is the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And then this woman came and worshiped him. And that's really critical because God accepts the worship of, of Jew and Gentile. And she positioned herself in a position of worship, and she said, Lord, help me. And he again says, listen, it's not meat, it's not suitable to take the children's bread and to cast it to the dogs. And, and there's some very false teaching on that particular verse uh, nowadays on uh, social media. And uh, it's very interesting how uh, false teachers and false pastors wrestle that out of context. Uh, 
what he's doing is distinguishing between the Jew and the Gentile. That's exactly what he's doing. And God's plan was always to reach the Gentiles through the nation of Israel. And, and what he's telling this woman is, listen, my plan is, is to reach the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And this woman says, hey, truth, truth, I know that. But she said, the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall into the master's table. And Jesus answered and said, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou will. And so this woman, who was a Gentile woman, received mercy from the Lord Jesus Christ, even when his ministry was focused to the nation of Israel. John chapter 12 is another example. There's some Greeks, there's some Gentiles present, and uh, the Lord Jesus uh, pleases his father. There's a voice from heaven where God the Father basically tells uh, his son that I've glorified your name and I'm going to glorify it again. And there were some Gentiles in that audience that heard the audible voice of God. What does all that mean? What it means is Jesus was a minister to the circumcision, but he also ministered to the Gentile. And the Gentiles were recipients of God's mercy. The Jews were the recipients of God's promises, but the Gentiles were the recipients of God's mercy. And we see that all the way through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. Four times in the book of Romans, chapter 15, in this passage, there are four times that Paul reaches back into the Old Testament and proves from the Old Testament that the Gentiles are going to receive God's mercy. And I'll give you the references very quickly. Psalm 18, verse 49. It says, Therefore I will give thee thanks, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. That was written under the time of kings, under David, a Jew that was confessing God's name among the Gentiles. And, and so Romans 15 tells us, that God fulfilled his promise to the Gentile nations through the nation of Israel, through Christ, and that God receives the worship of all. Christ, his ministry was focused to the Jew, man, and yet he showed mercy to the Gentile. And God promised it all along. God promised it all along, as it is written. And verse 10 is a second reference to the Old Testament, where in Romans 15 and verse 10, again, he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. Well, his people are the Jews. They're the nation of Israel. And the Gentiles are every other nation. And that's a quote from Deuteronomy 32 and verse 43. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people. For he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and be merciful unto his land and to his people. That was spoken in the wilderness under Moses. And it's directed to Gentile nations, non-Jews who would receive God's mercy. Verse 10 again, it says, And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And that's a direct quote from Psalm 117 and verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord, all ye nations, and praise him, all ye people. And again, that was written under the time of the kings, under King David. And then verse 12, it says, And again, Isaiah saith, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he that shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. And that's a direct quote from Isaiah 11 and verse 10, written during the ministry of the prophets. Here's the point. The point is, God always had a plan for the Jew, the nation of Israel, and God always had a plan for the Gentile from the very beginning. God always had a plan. And God's plan was, through that nation of people and through those promises, ultimately, God would use that people group to manifest his glory to the nations. Well, you know what happened. They rejected that. 
They rejected those promises. They rejected Christ as their king, as their Messiah, and they crucified him. And there's a whole transition that happens through the book of Acts that we don't have time for this morning. But then we, we get to the passage, and we, we're going to skip down to the end of that passage because I want to show you the second minister. We see that Christ had an effective ministry. He, he, he pleased the sender with the right message to the right audience. And then in the same passage, we find out that Paul was a minister. And this is very interesting to me because in both, both Paul and Christ's ministry, they both had an intended audience, and yet they both ministered to people that were outside of that intended audience. And so let's talk about it. Look at verse 15. Paul was a minister, just like Christ was a minister. Look at verse 15. Nevertheless, brethren, I've written unto you more boldly in some sort uh, as putting you in mind, because the grace of God that's given to me, uh, given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to who? The Gentiles. Okay? Ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. And again, man, we, 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 we really try to do a good job of rightly dividing the scriptures, man. Jews are not Gentiles. Gentiles are not Jew. They're different people groups. That's the way God looks at the nations. God looks at the nations as the nation of Israel and every other nation. That's the way God looks at it. And so Paul was sent to the Gentiles. Let's get a couple of principles out of this. Number one, Paul was sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to understand that Paul's sending as a minister was from the very person of Jesus Christ himself. Do you guys remember the story of Paul's conversion, Acts chapter 9? If, if you don't remember it, Paul was a religious Pharisee whose name was Saul. And he was very zealous for God, but not according to knowledge. Because, because he persecuted Christians. He persecuted those that believed in Christ. And God revealed himself to Paul or to Saul on the Damascus Road. And, and he blinded him and he humbled him. Jesus Christ himself had a conversation with him from heaven he saw a blinding light, and he asked the question, why are you persecuting me, Saul? And you have to ask the question, how could he persecute Jesus? Because Jesus was at the right hand of God. Well, he was persecuting the church, those that were believers in Christ. And so there's a long story, but in Acts chapter 9, when, when, when Paul, excuse me, when, yeah, when Christ sends Paul to Ananias to minister to him, the Lord said unto him, to Ananias, he says, go thy way, for he... Paul is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. That's very interesting. There's a lot to talk about in that verse. But here's the first thing we need to talk about. Who sent Paul to be a minister? Christ. After his conversion, Paul sent him to be a minister. And can I just tell you, after your conversion, Christ sent you to be a minister too. So now we're going to get some practical applications. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 20 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ. Are you in Christ today? Three of you are. Praise the Lord. We'll pray for the rest of you. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Aren't you thankful for that? God didn't make you better. He made you different. He made you new in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us. And the us 
as those that are new creatures in Christ. He's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, we need to pay attention right here. Because any person that is in Christ in this room has been given the ministry of reconciliation by Christ himself. God gave you that. God gave you that. And and whether you like it or not, or agree with it or not, God gave you that. Hello? God gave you that. Just like God gave Paul a mission and a ministry, and God gave Christ himself a mission and a ministry and a message, Christ gave it to you. If you are in Christ as a new creature, you have been given the ministry of reconciliation. What that means is there's a ministry that needs a minister, and the minister is you. The minister is you, and the minister is me. Look at verse 19. To wit, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. In other words, Christ served his sender, and he had a message to deliver. Paul served his sender, and his message was the gospel, and we'll get to that in a second. And listen, you and I, friends, have been given a ministry, and we've been given a message, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 20 says we're ambassadors for Christ. We are sent on the behalf of someone else. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ to be reconciled to God. And and I, I know that this really jacks up your Laodicean Christianity. But it ain't about you. It ain't about what you want out of life or what you can accomplish out of life or what God can give you out of life. What it's about is the fact that there has been a mission and a ministry committed to you at the moment of your salvation. And to be a good minister means you're going to please the one that sent you. And to be a good minister, it means you're going to carry the message that God sent you with. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we see that Paul pleased his sender because he was sent by Christ himself. Number two, Paul was a minister to the Gentiles. And and again, we see a difference in his ministry versus Christ's ministry. He even says in Romans 11 and verse 13, he says, I speak to you Gentiles, insomuch as I am the apostle of of, of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. And and you're going to see it next week, uh, You're going to see it next week when we get further into Romans 15. Paul's ministry emphasis was preaching where Christ was not named. In other words, he took the gospel to people that didn't know it. In other words, he didn't waste his time on on places and people that already had access to the gospel. He ministered to a specific audience, the Gentiles, and specifically where Christ was not named. And I hope you catch the principle, man, for our life. We need to be about the minute. Can I just tell you what we as Laodicean Christians do? Because we're all Laodicean Christians, man. We love to spend time with each other. And I'm thankful that we spend time to each other, with each other. I'm thankful. I'm thankful to see you on Sunday. I'm thankful to see you when I'm outside of here. But man, sometimes as Laodicean Christians, we forget that we have been sent to a people group that don't yet have the gospel. We got to go find them. And, and that takes purpose and planning and intention and prayer. When is the last time you strategically took the gospel 
to someone that doesn't know it. And if your answer is, I've never done that, then you need to prayerfully start. And if you don't know how to do that, then would you prayerfully consider being discipled so that you can learn how to do that? So that you can take the message of God to the people that need to hear it, to the intended audience. Paul said, listen, I want you to know I'm taking the gospel to where Christ is not named. And we spend a lot of time and a lot of money in places and with people that already have access to the gospel. And there are people in this city, friends, that don't know the gospel, believe it or not. And the reason we don't believe that is because we don't go and try to tell people about the gospel. We don't have an understanding of how void this city is of the gospel. I didn't say it was, was void of religion. We got plenty of religion in this city. We got too much religion in this city. But what we're missing is biblical Christianity. What we're missing is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ to the intended audience of people that have never heard it before. I'm really, I'm going to get in trouble, man. Oh. State, of, state of the notes, Jay. Oh. I'm tired of preaching the gospel to the same people, number one, that have heard it over and over and over again. I'm tired of preaching it to save people that don't do anything with it. I'm tired of it. I'm getting tired of my old age, man. And I'm getting real cranky. And many of you know that. <laughs> but some of it is because we have spent so much time and energy and resources in the places and in the people that have already had access to the gospel over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. We had better find the people who have never heard it. And the only way we'll find them is if we're on mission. If we're taking the gospel to the nations. See, we'll, we'll find the people in this city that have never heard it when we start preaching the gospel. And that's where our emphasis needs to be. So Paul was a minister to the Gentiles, but let me just also remind you, while his, while his ministry was focused specific to the Gentiles, Paul was also a minister to the Jew. Paul was a Jew. And listen, Paul carried with him a continual burden for his people, the nation of Israel. And we covered this in Romans 19 and 11. But let me just remind you, Romans chapter 10 and verse 1. Paul writes and he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. So Paul continually carried the burden for the nation of Israel in his heart, even though God had sent him specifically to the, nation, or, or to the Gentile nations. He did have a ministry to the Jews. Can I just tell you that Paul had fruit among the Jews, but Paul never had the fruit among the Jewish people like Peter did. You go to Acts chapter 2, when Peter preached his first sermon after Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. 3,000 Jews. Paul never had that. In Acts chapter 4, when Peter preached again, 5,000 people got saved. The guy that had the, the, the most significant ministry to the Jews wasn't Paul. It was Peter. And, and as a nation, they never turned to Christ, but there were pockets of a revival within the Jewish people. But here's the point I want you to get from this. You know what? Paul never lost his burden for the Jew, but Paul also recognized that his calling was to the Gentiles. And here's the principle that you and I need to get. 
A good minister, a good minister can discern between a burden and a calling. You see, there, there are people, groups, and places that many of us, especially maturing believers, if you've been on a mission trip, man, God's tugged at your heart. You know what I'm saying? If, you, if you've been on a mission trip, you've been to Zambia, you've been to Malawi, you've been to Albania, you've been to Boston, you've been to any place that we've been. When you go, man, you, you, you develop a burden for, for that place and for those people. You do, man. I mean, it's, and it's biblical because you want to see people come to Christ. But can I just tell you that a good minister is able to discern between a burden and a calling because, because God's calling on Paul was that he was the apostle to the Gentiles. His burden was the nation of Israel, and he had to reconcile those two things. And he did ministry to both, but the bulk of his ministry was to the Gentile nations. You see, a burden is going to stop once the stones start getting tossed. And what I mean by that is, if you read Paul's interaction with the Jewish people throughout the book of Acts, every time he tried to minister to them, they tried to kill him. They tried to kill him. They stoned him. They ran him out of the, 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 the synagogue. They chased him out of town. You see, a burden is going to stop when the, when the going gets hard. And, and you've got to know what God's called you to and who God's called you to and where God's called you to because a burden, while important, won't sustain you in ministry. But what will sustain you is a calling. And when you understand how God called you and made you and crafted you, I think of my friend Brandon. We, we, we had the privilege of doing a, a missionary roundtable podcast uh, this, this past week on Brandon Smith. And uh, it'll air later in the summer. Uh, Kale Horvath is putting that together. Uh, that dude had a calling on his life. And he served in a country in northwest Africa that is 99.9999% Muslim. Christianity is illegal. Bibles are illegal. The language is Arabic. And they don't like outsiders. That dude had a burden for the ministry, but can I just tell you, it got tough at times. Persecution, opposition. But the dude also, he understood his calling. He understood how God crafted him, God made him. God, God uniquely gifted and positioned that young man to integrate completely into that culture to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, that's the difference between a burden and a calling. He, because it got hard, and he begged God to bring him home for years. And the more he begged God to bring him home, the more God confirmed that's where he needed to be. You see, that's what a calling is, and that's what understanding a calling is. Paul understood his calling. He had a burden for the nation of Israel, but his calling was to the Gentiles. Number next, whatever it is in your notes. Listen, Paul ministered a very specific message. He ministered the gospel. Verse 16. He says that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. That was his message. That was, that's what he was to steward to his intended audience. i got to give people the gospel. And then number next is this. Paul is our pattern. And so as believers in Christ, our model Christian in the Bible to follow is the Apostle Paul. It's Paul. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. 1 Timothy 1 verse 16, he says, How be it for this cause? 
I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, listen, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. Paul says, I'm the pattern. And he doesn't say it pridefully. What he's saying is every believer in Christ needs to look to Paul for the pattern of ministry. And the pattern of ministry is, man, I'm sent by God. There's an audience that I need to go find with a message that God has given me. And I need to walk in that calling until I see Christ. That's what it is. Which leads us to the last principle is this. Number five, listen, a good minister must be faithful. A good minister must be faithful. Man, you want to live in a way that, that pleases God. You want to be faithful to God. You want to end this life, however it ends, being found faithful to the Lord. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 and 2 says this, uh, Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it's required in stewards that a man be found what? Faithful. You see, a good minister is going to be faithful. He's going to understand who sent him. He's going to understand who he got sent to. He's going to understand the message that he's to deliver. And he's going to do it faithfully as unto the Lord. We can learn a lot from Christ. And we can learn a lot from Paul. And, and you know, I, got, I know you got one more blank, and we have to fill that in. Otherwise, you know, you'll lose your salvation. But... Um, <laughs> But let me just say, the bulk of the message is, is those first two points. We got a ministry, man. And God's looking for people that will minister. And anybody that's born again qualifies. Because you've been given it. And I, I don't want you to walk out of here discouraged because you don't know how to do that. As a matter of fact, I want you to recognize the calling God has on your life and submit to learn how to do that. That's my heart's desire. Get discipled. Get plugged into a local church. Get plugged into this local church so that we can teach you how to do that, okay? Look at the last point we're done, the result of ministry. And, and you go back to verses 13 and 14, and I know I kind of bookended, bookended it with Paul and Christ as the examples of ministry. But in the Roman believers, we see the result of what ministry looks like. When we do ministry the way God's, God tells us to do it, this is the result. Look at verse 13. Now the, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that you're full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able to admonish one another. That's, listen, when ministry is done right, when we do the ministry God's called us to do, the believers become full of some things based on their faith. You're full of something. I tell people that all the time. Man, my, my church is full of it. They're full of something. What are they full of? Well, they're full of joy, number one. If you believed in the gospel, you believed in the scriptures, believers ought to be full of joy. Man, I, I, you can't fake it. It comes from the Holy Spirit of God. Believers ought to be full of peace because they know God. You say, we just don't know my life. Man, I, I don't know your life. But I know Christ, and I know in the midst of crazy craziness, you can still have peace. I know that believers are called to abound in hope, and, and a result of ministry in our community, man, these, this is what the world is looking for. 
joy and peace and hope and goodness and knowledge. And it's only found in Christ. And it's only found when we do the ministry that God's called us to do. Does that make sense? You guys cool with that? Okay. And all of that's done through the power of the Holy Ghost. And so listen, as we close, and and we're going to transition to the Lord's Supper because this morning is is Fifth Sunday, and uh, every Fifth Sunday we try to make a point to observe the Lord's Supper. As, as As we look at that and consider the Lord's Supper this morning, can I just help you understand that that happened because of Christ's faithfulness in ministry? He came and he did what he was called to do. He laid down his life for us, man. He, he offered himself a sacrifice for our life. If you've got a Bible, can you turn to 1 Corinthians 11 real quick? And, I, and I'll just have you go through a few verses, and then we'll distribute the Lord's Supper this morning. Verse 23, Paul reminds us that this ordinance of the Lord's Supper is for the New Testament church. He says in verse 23 that I've received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you. That the Lord, that the same night, the Lord, the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And we had given thanks. He broke it and said, take eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in what? In remembrance of me. After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. This do as oft as ye drink it. In what? In remembrance of me, for as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. You know, and as we observe the Lord's Supper, when we, when we observe it at our church, I want you to re- be reminded, number one, Christ instructed us to do it. We're to do it in remembrance. Number two, we, when we observe the Lord's Supper, we're always looking back to Christ's death. That, that bread and that fruit of the vine is, is symbolic of Christ's body and blood being broken and being shed for us. We look back to the cross and we look back to the finished work that's able to save us from our sin. But verse 26 also tells us that as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we're looking forward to Christ's coming. We we show his death till he what? Till he come. And as we observe the Lord's Supper, I want all of us to to be reminded this morning, there ought to be a time in your life where the cross of Christ became a reality, where you realize that you are a sinner separated from God and that through Christ's shed blood, you could be forgiven of your sin. You ought to be able to look back and see when that happened in your life. But can I also tell you that, that as we observe what we're proclaiming to the world is that we believe Christ is coming again. When we observe, we believe that our King is coming and so that, that's verse 26. Verse 27 says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat of this bread and drink of this cup unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. And, and, and what God requires for us is examination in verse 28. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. And as we come to the Lord's Supper, God always wants to perform spiritual surgery in our life before we observe the supper. God wants us to do business with him. God God would have us not eat unworthily. That's an adverb. It's how we eat. It's how we drink. It's how we partake of the Lord's Supper. And the way that we don't do it unworthily is that we examine ourselves, And we come to the place where we realize if we're born again, and if there's any unfinished business with the Lord that we need to deal with, we do it now. We examine ourselves. We spend time in prayer. We spend time in repentance before the Lord. The Bible says in verse 29, He that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, 
not discerning the Lord's body. It doesn't mean you lose your salvation, but what it does mean is as a believer in Christ, you position yourself to be chastened of the Lord when you don't examine yourself. Verse 30 says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Verse 31, If we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. So the point is, we have the opportunity to observe the Lord's Supper today. I would dare say that all of us, we celebrate Memorial Day, you know, we this a special weekend for our country, and we're thankful for those willing to lay down their life for our freedom uh, and the privileges that we enjoy in this country. But I'm going to tell you there's one that's greater that has laid down his life for our sin. And he's able through his shed blood to forgive us and, and to give us new life and to give us a ministry and to allow us to walk with him. And that's a wonderful privilege. And so as we, as we honor the Lord and as we remember his death and we look forward to his coming, let's just do business with the Lord as we begin. Let me ask our ushers to come and we're going to distribute.